it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by... Andrew Sather, and Dave Ahern to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom starts now. All right, folks, well, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. I'm Dave Ahern, and Andrew Sather is here with me as well. Tonight, we're going to talk about Andrew's e-letter. So the title of our show tonight is To Pay or Not to Pay for Investment Services. So Andrew had recently had a e-letter subscriber, or not an e-letter subscriber, I'm sorry. He had a gentleman write a, a note to him, and so Andrew wanted to give a little response over the air tonight. So that's what we're going to do. So I'm going to read, go ahead and read the letter, and then Andrew is going to chat a little bit. So the letter starts at $29 a month. That's just under $14,000 per subscriber for you. You and Dave discussed how much needs to happen to overcome a transaction fee with a stock purchase and focus a lot on percentages. But you seem to have a reverse opinion on the subscription. If someone follows you for 40 years at $150 a month with a goal of $1 million, They'll be $14,000 short after the subscription. That would equate to 2,812 transactions. What's the plan to overcome that? I absolutely love your guys' show, but find my mind contemplating things like this. And I in no way intend to think that you shouldn't charge for your services. After all, you're a professional, but wouldn't it be more prudent to charge a percentage of growth or somehow correlate it to the actual value earned? It's the biggest problem I have with anyone in this industry. They all want to help, but they want money up front and require blind faith. Brian. All right, Andrew, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I absolutely love the question. And, you know, if one person is taking the time to write this out, you already know that at least 10 people or more probably have this question in their mind. So I think it's a great thing to think about. And I really recall back early into my investing journey having a very similar thought process. And I think I still kind of go through this kind of a thought process when I think about other investments in my life. When I talk about investments, I'm not talking in the stock market sense, but more in a other products and services that can better my life in many different ways. So first thing I want to say, and I'm going to hit a couple points and I'm going to go a little bit out of order, but they're all going to kind of tie in together and lead to the the big answer at the very end. 
But I really think some of this stuff needs to be addressed first, and then it kind of builds on itself afterwards. You know, firstly, I'm a consumer just as much as I'm a producer. Uh, I'll say that right away. You know, even right now, I pay for a premium podcast. Um, I've paid for premium podcasts in the past on investing. It's not offered anymore. I've paid for an investment newsletter, uh, an entrepreneurial newsletter, which was $99 a month, you know, gave me an ROA, an ROI much, much greater than that. So, so, you know, I've been there and I've had to make that decision making process where, okay, is this money, this hard earned money that I've worked and toiled for and have really saved and have made this an extra part of my budget is it really worth giving to somebody else, particularly on the internet, who you, you're not seeing it face to face, you're not able to swipe at the counter or anything like that, and, and really trust that this is going to do great things for me. So, you know, this might not apply for anybody, or I mean, you know, it might not apply for everybody. Uh, you know, I'm sure there's people who have been scammed in the past, but I'll just say from my own personal experience, I've had a lot of great kind of for lack of a better word, blessings come into my life from the different types of opportunities I've seen online. Uh, you know, I mentioned the the investment newsletter, the entrepreneurial newsletter. There's a great entrepreneur. His name's Pat Flynn from Smart Passive Income Podcast. You know, at the time when I was first starting my business, he didn't really offer any products, but he did offer affiliate links. And so I made sure to go out of my way to make sure he was getting credit on those affiliate links. I knew that was my way of kind of paying him back because just the absolute value and the way the information that he provided was able to transform my life was so apparent to me. I just wanted to give it back. And so, you know, that was one example of, of being on the receiving end of, of a lot of great information and value and advice. Another one's Dave Ramsey, you know, that kind of transformed my whole mindset on when it came to personal finance and when it came to looking at the big picture of you know how how does debt and how do assets and how how does this whole you know I, I mean it's a game that i wasn't even aware was being played you know but it really is and really most people maybe aren't aware of that game but it's the whole net worth thing and, and you know building assets and, and eliminating debt and really getting cash flow to work for you you know, Dave Ramsey also has a podcast, as does Pat Flynn. He, his podcast, uh, The Dave Ramsey Show, I, I used to listen to that all the time, got a lot of great advice and really was able to make concrete steps and, and work towards my goals and, and make progress towards those goals. So, you know, I've 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 tried his flagship product, the um you know, it's it's not ringing a bell right now, but um Financial peace. I went through financial peace. I found that to be very, very useful. Uh, don't regret spending, you know, I don't regret any dollar I spent towards that. And that was, I think it was close to a hundred dollars, you know, in other areas of my life, obviously I've also seen some great gains from kind of investing online. There's a app called strong lifts, which when you're starting out into the power lifting and the weight lifting, really with an emphasis on trying to get PRs, uh, as far as lifting really heavy weights, that was like a $10 investment that while it doesn't make a financial ROI, it made really big results for me from a fitness perspective. And so, you know, those types of things are kind of hard to quantify, but you really have to take, uh, you know, a subjective 
uh, outlook and really see if, if it's making sense to you. And then even today, you know, obviously Amazon loves, you know, even, <laughs> even though I talk bad about their stock, they love me as a customer. Cause you know, I got the audible subscription getting these books every single month that I'm able to listen to when I'm driving on my commute, you know, or walking the dog and really just getting all this insight from other people in these books that they've produced. And it's, from a collective standpoint, it's not easy to give a certain ROI number or figure to that, but there's just so many different ways that it's made me grow as a person. And as you grow as a person, it really kind of spreads out to all areas of life and you'll start to really see results as those things kind of line up for you. And, you know, obviously Kindle is another great example of that. I think if, if you're a reader, obviously, Kindle can be great because you can take it anywhere you want. I like to to do that on the phone and just really have a book t- to read anywhere I'm at. So I, I completely understand and I get like the skepticism and I understand that he wasn't saying, you know, I shouldn't ch- not charge for the e-letter. Obviously the whole capitalism thing and that can be a whole nother topic for another day. But I just want everybody to understand, especially Brian, that I know what it's like to, to kind of take that leap because, you know, the internet's not that old as far as years. So there's still a lot of skepticism and putting money towards somebody who you might not have met in person or seen in the flesh. So there can be a lot of good and a lot of bad that can come from it. I, I guess, tend to be a glass half full when it comes to this kind of new era that we're seeing, if, if you want to call it that. So I've seen that and I think I, I tend to attract that with the law of attraction. And so I am all for it. And, you know, I think it's, it's a judgment call everybody has to make personally, but I think it's, it's definitely a big factor when it comes to not only my service, but other investment services out there. I think that kind of leads into what his next critique was, which was, you know, wouldn't it be more prudent to charge a percentage of growth uh, or correlate it to how much value I'm actually earning? So he's kind of talking about making it a sort of commission thing, which I get 100%. Guys like, I think Buffett does it where he'll do like a percentage on whatever gains they make. I think a lot of the hedge funds do it. Actually, a lot of the hedge funds will charge you a percentage based on how many assets you have. Plus they'll take profits off the top. So they kind of double dip in that sense. But the problem with charging a percentage of, of whatever growth my portfolio has seen is I've talked before how I don't want to manage other people's money. I don't want to be responsible in the sense that people can kind of just take, pull their money out and because they don't have, they don't see things the same way I do you know, when you manage other people's money, a lot of it comes down to how much money you can attract and, and how much money is is kind of leaving and keeping that that difference, you know, cash positive for the investment manager. So we've talked about how that turns into more of a marketing game than it is even like a investment management game. And so I you know, I don't really see a way to charge uh investment newsletter in that way. And even if there was a way to do that, I, I don't think it's 
right from a mindset perspective. So let me talk about Warren Buffett for a second because it's it's so key to to think about you know how performance kind of correlates with everything else. So obviously, I've talked in the past about how Buffett really underperformed the market, particularly in 1999 when internet stocks were kind of going through the roof. But you know, I pulled up this is a website called thebuffett.com, and it shows his performance returns compared to the S and P with dividends back since 1965 all the way up to 2012. So there's a lot of, from an individual year basis, there's a lot of variation in how his results uh, ended up being compared to how the market did. So he's got years here where he's earned you know 20%. You see 23%. He's got other years where he only earned 4%, 5%. Uh, 2001, he lost 6%. 2008, he lost 9%. And then when you compare it to the S&P, there's a variation on how much he beats or loses to the market. So, you know, for example, 1966, he beat the market by 32%. The following year, 1967, he lost by 19.9%. So even though he made 11% in 1966, oh no, that's 67 uh, the S&P grew 30%, so he underperformed big time. And th- there's just examples of that all throughout the board. So you can't really take one single year of performance and say that that truly reflects how Buffett did because obviously if, if you look over the decades, he outperformed the market by significant amount. You know, We're talking about over 10% or more depending on how you want to, you know, how you want to slice it or whatever. So... You know, in the same token, having people who want to subscribe to my e-letter, having them focus on like short-term results like that, I don't think it's very beneficial because that mindset needs to be not so much results focused, but more like process focused. So am, am I making sure that I am sticking to similar principles that a successful investor like Buffett would rather than, oh, am I beating the market every single year, every single month. Am I, you know, if, if I'm losing and the market's beating me for this year or that year, does that make me a terrible investor? Should I just sell out? You know, that, that could be the worst possible thing you do because you could really get the recovery and that recovery could, could really be the difference over a 10 year period. And if you miss out on that one year of recovery, because you sold out and you just bailed on your investment strategy that that could really you know turn you from a loser um from a winner to a loser so i think having results be the central kind of thesis and focus is very counterproductive i think you know i i've thought a lot about this and you know, even the price point in particular, $29 a month, I've, I've had to think a lot about that and make sure that, you know, if I am marketing to people who are going to buy a hundred, you know, they're going to invest $150 a month, that $29 a month needs to be worth it for them. So, you know, and, and Brian, you know, you talked about blind faith and 
I think just as a consumer in general, we, we have to have a blind faith in a lot of different things. I don't want to like say that, you know, buying with me is going to be any less of blind faith than anybody else. But I, I think the focus needs to be on, you know, is, do I agree with the process and do I agree with the, really the, the thought strategy and the system that's going along with it? And not so much, you know, it did Andrew beat the market in 2017, you know? So I think those are some really, some things to really consider. And then, you know, I mentioned how over a 40 year time period, that's $14,000 cost, you know, at $29 a month. So again, when I thought about that price point, I thought about, how can it become a good value for people who want to subscribe? Hey you, what's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it. Let me give numbers on the differences between the different return percentages. So, you know, and I, I, I always put this in each issue of the e-leather. I've started giving like the numerical difference between how if you were to put money into the S&P versus putting money into the e-leather and, and how that kind of what what that difference would be over 40 years. So, you know, I always use the example of 10% a year because that's the market average. So $150 a month at 10% a year that comes out to 797,000. Let's call it 800,000, okay? Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money. Not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, 
I pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Just a 1% overperformance over that. So 11% instead of 10%. 1% better than the S&P 500. That's 1047000 So you're talking about a difference of $250,000 over 40 years. So while you might have spent, you know, this is all obviously hypothetical, but spending $14,000 to potentially make $250,000 over a four-year time period, obviously that can be a game changer for you. And it's because of the way compounding interest works. So when you're getting that 11% in the first year, you know, it's not going to be a perfect 11%, whatever. Just like if you look at Buffett's returns, you know, he's going 20, 20, 10, 16, 4, 5. It's all over the place, but at the end of the day, when you look at the numbers, it will average out to this certain percentage. So it's that extra percent that because it's compounding and we talk about compound interest all the time, but that per- that extra percent that you're making one year is going to be, it's going to make an even extra percent on top of another extra percent on that next year. And it's just going to keep growing and growing. And what's interesting is as you get further and further away from the average market return of 10%, that increase becomes exponentially greater as well. So I talked about the difference between 10% and 11%, 250,000. The difference between 11% and 12%, just another 1%, is now 333,000. So you're getting, you know, each each 1% above that last percentage point, you're getting a higher and higher amount of return to your investment. So that's kind of the whole point of the e-leather. And that's why I I put the goal at a million dollars because that's an 11% return per year. So all I'm asking is to really try to beat the market by 1%. And if we 1% a year, and if we can do that, we'll have a million dollars. And obviously it's a nice round number. And I think it's very doable. And it kind of ties into the last point of his question, which was, What's the plan to overcome that? So the whole point behind the e-letter and the plan, and it's really, you know, the whole point behind the podcast that we're trying to do here is to find the right system and strategy to get from just average market returns to something that can give us maybe a point, you know, a, a percent or even 2% better per year and really give us that extra, that big sum of money that really makes a big difference and kind of makes the effort really worth it. So the plan to overcome that is value investing. We, we talk about that over and over and over again. And just in a little snippet, I, I would like to just kind of recap that. And if, if you're a beginner and you haven't heard about value investing before, I think it will be a nice kind of entry point. And if you've been listening throughout all our episodes, I think it's a, a nice recap and kind of a good checkpoint just to make sure we're 
you know, a nice reminder really to, to say, you know, this is why we're learning these topics. This is why we, this is why we do what we do. And this is why we invest in the way that we do. And this is why we're going to continue to invest in the way that we do to try to get these gains to run as, as long and as far as possible. So when, when you look at value investing, there's a lot of research and data and studies that have, have shown how superior it is to a lot of other investment strategies. I talked about how the average market return is 10% a year. Merrill Lynch did a study where they compared value stocks, growth stocks, and you know regular stocks over a 90-year time period. They found that value stocks averaged averaged 17% a year return over that 90 years. That's that's not 1%, 2% over the market average. That's 7%. That's significant. That can really make a lot of money. And it has made a lot of people a lot of money. So there's a lot of different investors that have done exactly that. You know, we talk about Benjamin Graham. Obviously, we've talked about his book. He earned 17% for 30 years. A guy named Phil Carrot, he earned an average of 12.5% for 55 years. He was a value-oriented guy who really bought companies that were growing their earnings and had solid balance sheets. Just really basic, simple value investor, really basic, simple topics. And he ran with it. And you know, Every single one of these guys able to do it over decades of time and we're talking about turning tens of thousands into millions of dollars in in those time periods it can make some you know significant wealth for average people and really did make a lot of significant wealth for shareholders and and people who are along for the ride with them another guy named John Templeton uh earned 13.8% average returns over 50 years he took more of a contrarian approach and he bought the most hated stocks, the stocks that he could find at the best bargains. And he didn't discriminate. It didn't matter what sector or what country these stocks were in. He was going to dive in. The cheaper, the better. The dirtier, the better. And, and he made a lot of money doing that. John Neff, another guy, 13.7% a year for 31 years. He coined his strategy, the low PE investing strategy. That's his words. So that's obvious value investing. You know, the very first ratio we talked about in our episode about the most useful stock valuations was the price earnings ratio. He also emphasized the return on equity, shows that he was really a, a guy who liked to dig into the financial statements. Obviously, Dave and I really resonate with that. And obviously was looking for companies with high earnings. That's kind of a that's a requirement of companies with good ROE. So, you know, strong earnings. And it did really well for him. Obviously, the last investor is Warren Buffett. Everybody knows about him. I won't get into that too much, but, you know, depending on what time period you look at, there's people saying he earned 22% a year for 40 years. Um, I don't need to talk about how much wealth he's been able to, to really accumulate. And, you know, so that's, that's the data. That's the research. But let's look at it from the big picture. Okay. Forget I said all of that and just think about it from the most simple, easiest, you know, let's learn how to walk before we run kind of idea. You have the stock market. 
the stock market goes up, the stock market goes down. The stock market has bull markets and the stock market has bear markets. So what's a bull market? A bull market's when everybody gets excited and they buy a lot of stocks. People tend to get greedy, so they bid up the stocks and then sometimes you'll see a bubble. Usually that bubble will pop. You know, during a bull market, usually the economy is really strong. And then, you know, after things crash, we we tend to see a bear market. It's all the opposite. You know, a lot of people are selling stocks. People are losing their jobs. There's a recession and there's a lot of fear in the markets. So not a lot of people, people don't feel good about the market. People don't feel confident when they put money into the market. They see red in their portfolio a lot. And it's just overall not a good thing. At the end of the day, we've seen, you know, over a hundred years of of market research, if not more. And we've seen that these bull and bear markets, you know, depending on what time period you're looking at, they can go anywhere from a couple years to I think we saw a bull market that was like twenty years. But there's all these just little pockets of bull and bear markets all throughout history. So we know that they're just really part of the process. And it's just sometimes there's a bull, sometimes there's a bear. So what we can deduce from that is that there's always elements of greed and fear into the market and these things are influencing prices. So the market's actually really emotional more so than it is numerical because you have people involved and people are buying up and bidding up prices or selling off and you're seeing prices really fall. So how we can take advantage of that is if we look on any given day, you know, take like the very top of a bull market. That's probably the most you you take it you take like a stock and it's probably the most greed that you'll see if if you kind of look at the balance between fear and greed, you're gonna see the most greed at at that point where the stock's at the top compared to when it's at the bottom and there's most most fear, everybody's negative. So as we go through the cycle of the stock market, there's always going to be some sort of fear and some sort of greed attached to every stock at any given time. And if we understand that it's not static, it's not 50-50, but you know, sometimes there can be like 60% greed and 40% fear or 75% greed for the, you know, 25% fear or flip it the other way around. If there's really like a like a 60% fear and a 40% greed. Well, there's the margin of safety right there is because if if we know really what the what the stock or that company is really worth and we know that there's more people fearful about that company than greedy, then how are we going to know what what that is is because we see what the price on the market is. So if that price is lower than what the real value is, then we know that there's more people fearful than greedy. And if we understand that over the long term, prices will eventually stabilize close to that 50-50 mark, then we understand, okay, well, there's going to be times and there's going to be stocks where there's going to be more fear than greed and we'll, we'll try to snatch those up and kind of use you know, elements of like John Templeton, who he loved to buy stocks at a bargain. Benjamin Graham's really similar in that same way. So taking advantage of the emotions and taking advantage of the swings between fear and greed and the the difference in opinions on various stocks 
that's where the opportunity is. And if we consistently do that, the chances are that we're going to be getting, you know, one stock, one month we're buying a stock, it's, it's a bargain. The next month we found a different stock, it's a bargain. You keep buying enough bargains and eventually you're going to get a nice diversified portfolio of a lot of stocks that are likely to begin to trade at a more neutral or even positive, optimistic viewpoint rather than pessimistic. So then that's where you'll see a lot of price appreciation. And, you know, not only that, but you, 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 you have the potential for price appreciation from buying when stocks are hated, but then you also have great potential of just riding the stocks as the companies grow naturally. So that's really the thing I like to focus on that I think kind of differentiates myself from a lot of just value investors in general. And, and this is the primary reason for the dividend fortress part of the e-leather where there's a big focus on dividends. So, you know, obviously we try to buy when, when prices are low, where the opportunity is, but eventually we want to have a portfolio of stocks that will just continue to pump out cash and pump out dividends and, and get us getting compounding interest in many different ways. So if we can get in the, the top companies who are always growing and always growing their dividends and doing that over time, we're going to reinvest those dividends. The amount of shares we're going to hold in those companies is going to continue to grow. And so that that growth is just going to spurn more growth and more growth. And so we're going to have, like I said, this kind of two-headed part of the potential equation that we're looking for, you know, getting gains from buying stocks that are hated and then getting gains from buying stocks where earnings are growing and the business is growing and dividends are growing. And so if we have a solid foundation of stocks that are growing, that's going to carry our portfolio higher. And by always buying stocks that are giving us that margin of safety and, and really you know, on the right side of the whole fear greed equation that we're looking that we're looking at and perceiving and, and comparing that to the overall market, that really gives us a significant advantage. And I think, you know, I, I don't think it's crazy to think that combining those two things can even lead to a one percent outperformance of the general market. I know a lot of there's a lot of different opinions on that. I, I have you know, we we have haters <laughs> that love to disagree and there's you know people who are just always chicken little or thinking that you know there's just no way that that good things could happen and that's fine and that's just the way that some people are but i really have a lot of faith in the idea that getting like a one percent or two percent outperformance doesn't have to be impossible even for the average investor if we put these two huge elements of investing strategy in place and kind of use them side by side, then it can really overcome a lot of different obstacles that can come up in the way. And so that's really why with the e-leather, I'm, I'm using my own money. It's, it's a real money portfolio that's being tracked because if, if I'm going to sell a service where I'm going to expect people to pay money to, to follow this portfolio along, you know for sure that I need to put my own 
if I'm asking people to risk like $29 a month, I'm going to be risking much more than that from my own personal viewpoint in order to, to make sure that, you know, that the interests are aligned here and that if, if, if this is going to be risks other people are taking, these are risks I'm taking alongside. And so that means, you know, a hundred percent of, my ideas and beliefs are being tested here. And if, if I fail, then my subs- my subscribers fail along with me, but you know, I feel that as well. It's not just, it's not just some play money that I see on the screen, but this is my own money that I've worked for as well. So I think that's kind of the way that I look at an investment service. I understand it's not the best thing for everybody. I think a lot of people probably will and do just kind of do it on their own, kind of like I'm I'm doing for myself now, and I think that's fantastic. Um, I also think it's it's great to have somebody kind of whispering in your ear every month, especially if times get tough, to let you know and remind you of these principles that you know just because the market's crashing doesn't mean you need to sell out, and just because your portfolio might not be doing as well doesn't mean you need to bail out. So I think there's there's some other intangible advantages that come to being subscribed to a service like the e-leather, but I also understand it's not for everybody and not all people can justify the price. And some people, frankly, just don't believe that that ROI will ever be there. And, and you know, that's completely fine too. But I hope that there's a lot of excitement there as well because there's big potential for not only, you know, these all these principles and lessons that we teach in the podcast, having that put to the fire and really have it be tested every single day and in the market. And as the months go on with, with these performance numbers that I can't hide from, you know, <laughs> they're posted and, and they're out there and, and it's really kind of putting my money where my mouth is. So it, it's kind of a cool thing to be a part of, especially if you can get in at the beginning. Um, and I, you know, if things go smoothly, you know, obviously I'm not going to make any promises. Nobody can really, nobody can tell the future. Nobody can say what's going to happen, but you know, maybe, yeah, maybe it is blind faith and, and maybe you do need it. But if, if it does make sense for you and if you can see the, the reasoning behind how this can be something that can positively influence your own life. And I say, you know, take the jump with me and, and let's see how far it can go. Awesome. You laid everything out really, really well. I think you talked about all those different points and pointed out your thoughts on everything. And uh, I was impressed. That was awesome. I, uh, you know, I guess my two cents worth on, you know, what Andrew was talking about was, you know, I also have different things that I've done as well as subscribe and things like that. And the way that I look at them was that they were helping me educate myself. And it was a part of what I used to help me learn more about whatever it was that I was investing in. And, you know, I haven't really talked about this, you know. All right. So I've never really talked about this facet of my life before, but I am a and it means I know a thing about wine. And, 
even though I have had all this experience and I, you know, I can talk intelligently about just about any wine in the world, I also still subscribe to services to help me learn more about it. That, you know, I guess the way I look at it is even though I've studied a lot, I've drank a lot, I'm not an alcoholic, but I have drank a lot of wine. That's the best way to learn. But, uh, you know, I still like to have somebody to bounce ideas off of or to get a second opinion from somebody that I trust that I think knows their stuff. And, you know, to me, that is invaluable because there are times where you're going to come across a wine, for example, where you're not really sure what you think. And it's nice to have that second opinion. You can look at their research or you can reach out to them because you're a part of their service and they'll tell you what they think. And, you know, it becomes kind of a collaborative effort. And, you know, I think that's one of the things that I like about what Andrew's doing is it is a collaborative effort. It's not just him standing on a high mountain preaching to everybody. This is what he thinks, but he's also helping teach you along the way so that you're learning as well as you're going along. And, you know, it's having that second pair of eyes to help you guide you as you're trying to make decisions. And sometimes it's nice, you know, like Andrew said at the end of his, his talk is it, you know, when things aren't going well, it's nice. And I don't mean you personally, I think when the market is not doing well, it's really nice to have somebody there that you, you can lean on that can help you through the tough times. And I think that is where the, you know, you're really going to get your bang for your buck. And, you know, I think that's really kind of my thought on that. So there's always going to be somebody out there that can help you. And you really have to decide whether that the price you're paying is worth that value for it. And that's really what it comes down to, whether we're talking about Android service or whether we're talking about talking to a financial advisor. You really have to decide whether that service is worth it to you. Is that value that you're getting from it? We're not talking about just a strictly a numbers aspect we're talking about you know, is the value that you're paying for it and again the intrinsic value are you getting what you're paying for and is that helping you get where you want to go and if it is then it's worth it and you know the thing i've learned in the restaurant business is and in you know the wine business and in the banking world if you take care of the service if the service meets your needs the price thing goes away you don't worry about it anymore that's not an issue it really becomes an issue when you're not getting what you feel like you should get for it and i think that's really kind of what my thoughts were on that yeah i think there's no such thing as a free lunch so even if an investment service is marketed as a free lunch you probably have to dig a little deeper to see oh well you know this advisor is getting kickbacks because they're promoting this kind of product or they're promoting this insurance company. So be cognizant of that and really make that decision for yourself. <laughs> Just like you'll be making intrinsic value decisions in the stock market, make those intrinsic value decisions on any services you might choose to invest in or pay for. Yeah, exactly. And you know, and, uh, one last thing I wanted to kind of mention about Andrew service that I really like is that he does not come at it. And we've all seen this, you know, when you go online, you look at any magazines or things like that. He doesn't come at you bragging about his percentage. Like I've earned 42% in the stock market this year. He doesn't do that. He comes at it like these are the principles, these are the values, these are the things that I believe in, and this is what it helps me do. So it's not about, you know, I'm so great that this is awesome and you should follow me. It's more coming at it like these are the things that I believe in that will help make you successful just like it's making 
making me successful. And I think to me that makes it appealing. It's not, you know, it's not bragging about how great everything is going. It's more about, you know, because, you know, you buy into something like that and you kind of peel away the, the onion and you discover that it's really not that deep and it's not really helping you where you're just you kind of feel like you're just buying it because you're buying it. Whereas with what Andrew is doing, he's helping you teach you what he's doing along the way. And it's coming from a place of abundance. And that's one of the things that I love about Warren Buffett is that he is as much a teacher as he is anything else. And if you read anything about him, he comes from a place of abundance, you know, and he's he wants to help teach you and other people what he's doing so that you can be as successful as he is. Of course, there's talent and there's other factors that go into his success. But, you know, the basic principles that Andrew and I talk about, we learn from him. It's, you know, he's not hiding any of it. You know, it's it's all out there for everybody to see. And if you read his shareholder letters or any other writings that he's ever done, he lays it all out there for you so you can figure it out yourself. And I think that's, you know, to me, that's very appealing. Yeah, it's like a, a river, you know, a river of abundance. Mm-hmm. All you got to do is plug in because it's just going to move along anyway. Yep, exactly. All right. Well, I think with that, I think we're going to go ahead and end it for tonight. I hope you enjoyed our show. I hope you enjoyed our discussion on Andrew's e-letter and, you know, commenting on Brian's letter or note that he wrote to Andrew earlier today. Uh, I thought that was a great letter and I'm glad we took a moment to kind of answer some of those questions because like Andrew was saying, I think a lot of people, if one person is thinking it, other people are thinking it. And I think it's good for us to take a moment and kind of talk about some of those things to give you a better insight into why Andrew is doing what he's doing. So without any further ado, why don't you guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety and emphasis on the safety. And you guys have a great week and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.